Tuesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And we're still hanging around a, uh, a very uh, hot uh, July night in, in uh, Jim and Marilyn Lovell's backyard. And much like it is now, it's like 97 here in Oshkosh. So. Yeah, yeah, we're we're in the triple digits down here in Texas, and uh, I can't imagine even at night. It's, uh, I mean, I know, you know, it's it's this is uh, Houston, it, where where their house was on um, Lazy Lazy Lake, I think is the name of the, where they live. They live in a the edge of a of a canal. And they have one of those, uh, they have a, you know, they have a house that actually has a, a, a boat slip in the back. And I'm trying to imagine in July in Texas, living near water, oh, you'd gosh. be just inundated. They, they, there are not enough bug zappers in the world to get rid of the uh, gigantic uh, prehensile oil um, mosquitoes. Someone once told me that Houston has uh, mosquitoes with ribs. So it was- <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So, but uh, as you know, as I said before, it tells well. It looks it looks really good to be sitting out in the backyard. Maybe the maybe the citronella was flowing pretty heavy that night. So um, <laughs> it better but, be; uh, they'd be carried away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, they're uh, they're out there, and the uh, the Apollo Eleven moonwalk party's over, and um, Marilyn is explaining about her insomnia when uh, when Jim was over the backside of the moon. Which must have been pretty tough because I mean they did it ten times, so I would think that every time they went around the back, she'd get up and wander around the house in vacuum. So that must have been uh, quite a <laughs> quite an uh, an attempt. Well, you know, I, I I you know if you look at the pictures from the Apollo Eight mission, you could see that there's a series of photos where you see the wives celebrating when the word came back, you know that that they had made it that they had parked in, in lunar orbit and I, I think they had to do a burn from the backside of the moon yeah um and you know there was a lot that can go wrong uh and you wouldn't even know about it you know if it was on the backside of the moon when it went wrong um but the pictures you could see the stress and relief on the wives faces of the there's a i think it's life magazine captured the pictures i i, I can it, the image that's burned in my head is susan borman with I she has like a necklace or pearls or something and she just is like biting them. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that's not staged, you know. No, that's... no. I, I mean you you can think about that. They were constantly not only were they, you know, their their emotions were so raw from all of this. Everybody telling, you know, when you turn on the TV and you have news news anchors telling you how they're facing death. Just, yeah, you know, exactly. I really, this is not helping me at all. But, you know, and Let on me top, burn this basketball of a torch and yeah. show you what I'm talking about. You know, <laughs> it, you know and, and it's like th- that's going on. Plus, uh, all of these astronauts, these these guys were the next nine. They were part of the, the next group of, you know, after the original seven astronauts, the next nine knew about the deal that, uh, that Time Life uh, had made with the original astronauts. So they... They were in it for their, you know, their long fought for bennies that, I mean, they, they've been living on base housing and um, I mean, one of the, uh, you know, they, they had moved from cinder block apartments to to nice houses in Houston. Uh, and to pay for all that, they had to kind of turn over their private lives to Life magazine. So, 
you know, you're in the stress of you got to make your house look like it's comfortable and relaxed and, and everything's picked up. So, of course, she was of course she was vacuuming because like <laughs> what are the millions of people sitting in barber shops and, uh, you know, looking through Life magazine going to think about Susan Borman's house and oh stuff. You know, so uh, the constant stress. So any kind of relief must have been just very well felt. Um, and I would imagine that once the mission's over, they just wanted to, you know, close the doors and get away. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure get some privacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's difficult. And you know, as looking at the divorce rate of all those, all those, you know, early astronauts, it was there was a tide that was waiting to happen because of the the enormous stresses on their marriages. Uh, uh, was incredible. And once uh, I think John John Young or Don Isley was among the first to uh, to actually get a divorce, and then it just it flowed because there was so much tension and, and stress, but uh, you know the level the level marriage held up very well as well as the Borman marriage. So uh, yeah, they, yeah. they were uh, a very like minded people. And, Two of uh, the few. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a difficult difficult times back then. I think uh, Wally and Joe Shira, they uh, remained uh, married yeah. all the way to the end. Yeah, and uh, and Annie and uh, John Glenn. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So, but yeah, you know, it's it was a hard life. And then we have uh, we have Jim here talking about three people in history: Christopher Columbus, Charles Lindbergh, and Neil Armstrong. And he, you know, of those three, he met two of them. Um, <laughs> but trying to think that you know he met Charles Lindbergh, and actually he and I think he and Frank Borman were very good friends with uh, with Lindbergh. They were, yeah. I know. Um, I know Frank uh, was Frank's very thrilled that he got the chance to really hang out and meet Charles Lindbergh and uh he was one of, I mean, you know and I think for a lot of people Charles Lindbergh was such a hero and such an icon for anybody that was growing up as a kid when he did that um when he when he made his you know his transatlantic uh, flight I mean it, I mean geez it's talked to so many of our World War II aviators our uh our astronauts they all pretended to be Lindbergh at one point so I mean it's a chance then to get to spend time with one of your heroes later in life uh, I, yeah. I think you'll you always cherish that and i think Lindbergh not only i mean we we, we tend to think the pop, popular view is of just being a pilot but he was an engineer he was a you know a top he was a top flight engineer and he appreciated all the aspects of aviation of what had to go into it what you had to know about things like airframes and and power you know propulsion and uh, fuel and endurance and things like metal fatigue and stuff all of that was was in his uh, was in his wheelhouse. He knew that had to be looked at, and he promoted. He used his fame to promote better aviation. Um, most notably, you know, kind of behind the scenes here because we didn't really didn't really hear about it in, in his later life. But Robert Goddard, most of Robert Goddard's work was funded through the assistance of Charles Lindbergh. Uh, Charles Lindbergh uh, talked uh, talked his friend and and Guggenheim to uh, fund. Goddard's work out in New Mexico, so all the later stuff, the gyroscopic, uh, gyroscopic control, the navigations, um, things like uh, jet-assisted takeoffs, bazookas, things like that, all that was funded through the auspices of Lin- uh, Lindbergh's uh, f- friendship with Guggenheim. Well, and let's not forget, you know, Lindbergh's, uh, you know, dedication. You know, obviously he 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 tried to, and was an advocate of the United States staying out of World War II. Uh, however, once we entered the war. Um, it was Lindbergh who actually went out to the Pacific and showed our aviators how to lean out their aircraft mixtures and get longer range uh, so they could patrol longer and loiter longer 
uh, in P-38s and Corsairs and things like that. So um, he did indeed uh, help our war effort during World War II. Yeah, I, I think uh, he he gets eclipsed by earlier events, but he was you know once once we were committed, so so was Charles Lindbergh, and um, he really was a major force in aviation uh, for the 20th century, at which you know uh, the effects of which continue right up to today. And uh, we'll be we'll be talking a little bit more about Lindbergh in a in a couple of episodes, so stay tuned on that. But uh, but yeah, he he was a key feature, every bit as important. Uh, in changing the world as, uh, you know, Christopher Columbus or, or Neil Armstrong. I love the, uh, by the way, um, one of the, the first things that um, I ever heard Gene Cran say in person, he came to give a lecture here and he, and it ties in with Christopher Columbus was, uh, uh, he said, my, the guy, I I do a horrible Gene Cran's impression, but he said, uh, you know, he said the, the gentleman I would work for was, a guy by the name of Christopher Columbus Kraft, and he said, "What, what better of a name for a guy that was going to lead NASA's mission control?" You know, oh, I'll yeah. never forget him saying that. And I had no idea that Chris Kraft's middle name was Columbus, and uh, <laughs> like, well, that is—that's pretty wild. That's yeah, a that's perfect name for somebody there. <laughs> kind of destiny there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, we get into a bit of exposition here, where uh, uh, where Jim is talking about how he lives in. I, we were talking about this yesterday that uh, we live in a world where man's walked on the moon and we just decided to go. I mean, that, that's the, the sheer audacity of this thing that, you know, there's no, there was no reason. There really wasn't any reason to go to the moon. Even for the Russians, there was no reason other than to show that we could do it. it could, yeah. It could be done. And, and, uh, but you know, something else I think come out of it and that's, and you mentioned it in the last episode that it wasn't just Americans that were watching Neil Armstrong land on the moon. Everybody, whether it was you were listening on a radio, TV, whatever your method of communication is in your country, was paying attention to this event. Um, so, I mean, just like there's no names on the mission patch because, um, you know, Buzz said we felt that we were going there for all of mankind, not just us. Um, this was for everybody. This wasn't just for... It was great that it was the United States that did it, but, um, you know, it wasn't just the United States that paid attention and watched it. And I like to think in some way that it brought people together. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I worked with, uh, I used to work for uh, Airbus, or actually I worked for British Aerospace, and uh, one of our subsidiaries is partnership with Airbus. And I knew a fellow from, from Toulouse who was about my age. And we talked about Apollo 11 once, and he said, I, I was never so proud to be a human being as the night that uh, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. And that that was where it was. I mean, it had started off as a space race that we were in a you know we're in this cold war with uh, with the Soviets, but in just a decade we were all just it, this was one big family watching you know their proudest moment is one of their kids gets gets to walk around on another planet and solve solve all the issues of can we can we get to the moon is it possible is, you know will we die trying to get back you know all of that was was resolved there and nobody knew what was going to happen next and you know in a way that's that was the strength of the apollo project that we could get there so fast we could we could do what we had set out to do and accomplish it but um and there's you know i see a lot of discussions on this on on different uh online boards and things but the uh the problem with apollo was that was too limited a mission that you know we we'd set down we We'd uh, touch our, you know, touch our toe and uh, put a flag down, take a picture, and then come back home. 
and in the you know it solved it solved the issue can we land on the moon but it really didn't line us up for a lot more stuff to go on because it was very expensive to get there both in the both in money and in lives cost but we really didn't have a, a very clear follow-up path as to what was going to happen next and um, that may be why the situation that we're in right now well yeah and i think it's something that uh, i mean that's something that wally shura had always said was you know space flight is hard it is incredibly hard and we can't forget that that you know we, we get we get excited and we sometimes get blinded by our success and missions like you said of going out and tiptoeing out onto the moon but um but going forward from there it's hard <laughs> we can't forget that yeah, it's everything there is trying to kill us. So you have yeah, to remember that. Exactly. You know, it's not really built. We're not built for the moon, and the moon isn't built for us. But you know, getting getting to stay there is going to be the next uh, tricky bit. Yeah, it must have been very tantalizing for all of them to say, you know, this. We don't know what's going to happen next. This is going to be, you know, we're going to stand there for a couple of hours, and then with Apollo twelve, do a do a precision landing next to a place where we already landed, and then on thirteen land land off the off the equator you know do some really uh, hairy uh, navigation to get to another part of the moon and all that was coming up and nobody knew what was going to happen next with that and and jim lovell felt felt that i mean that's what he's talking about here that he had been within 60 nautical miles of the moon and uh you know you could reach out and touch it and it wasn't it it was just out of his reach at the moment but he was thinking he's going to go back and and do it next um, one thing I want to talk about when they say nautical miles, when I was a little kid, I used to, whenever they describe what was going on in the, on the ship, uh, you know, when, when it was launching, they would say that they were 45 nautical miles downrange and 60 miles high. And, and I, would, I was always like, why nautical? Why do they have to keep saying nautical miles instead of statute miles? Why? But, um, you know, then I then I got a great big scholastic book on the subject, and I was reading all about maps and charts in the fourth grade and pouring over. I was like, oh, now I get it. And if somebody had just explained to me when I was nine what the difference was between a nautical mile and a statute mile, it would have been all made sense. But basically, the the way I understand it is, you know, a statute mile, 5,000. I apologize to all, all of our metric friends in Europe who are listening to us right now. But going over imperial stuff, it's, we kind of need a little bit of explanation. A statute mile is 5,280 feet. A nautical mile is one minute of latitude on a map. So you have, you know, uh, 360 degrees in a, on a globe, and um, then you cut it down to hours and minutes and seconds, but one minute of that is, is one mile. It's about 1.15 statute miles. So when you talk about a, a nautical mile, you're talking about a unit of distance over an arc. And when you talk about speed using nautical miles, instead of saying miles per hour, you say knots. So instead of going 30 statute miles per hour, you're going 30 knots per hour. And all of that could have been explained to me in about 10 minutes, but I had to wait and get a book <laughs> in the fourth grade to, to understand it. And I, I, I've understood it since then, and it all makes sense, but it would have, it would have solved my little nine-year-old brain a lot. It made, it made my nine-year-old brain a lot happier back then. <laughs> All of my flight school navigation classes uh, trainings are coming back now, thanks to that. Uh, so <laughs> okay, yeah, you can picture the compasses in your head. Going yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, and once you learn it, once you learn how to use nautical miles, it's real easy. And you go, oh, I, now I get it. And this is how you can figure out time. Well, you do you do fuel equations do exactly. You, you, yeah, and and you do most of your most of your uh, cross country stuff with nautical miles, right? Is that yeah, nautical miles, and and it's uh, you know it's funny because once you learn stuff like that or telling military time and 
and stuff like that. It's like, wow, this was completely easy. Why didn't I just learn this earlier? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. So hopefully if, if, if folks didn't know this now, we've, we've explained it to them and they can calm down too. See, so. it's an educational program yeah, as well. Yeah. Too, we're, you know. it's not just entertainment. It's edutainment. I, I kind so. of feel like Mr. Wizard or something like that. <laughs> I really think uh, we're, ta- we're, we're changing lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody tuning in, you, your brain gets a little bit bigger, so. uh, but not bad for a, not bad for a Tuesday. <laughs> There really isn't much to this particular minute. It's, it's exposition. It's like, what is what is uh, Jim Lovell's motivation? It's like, well, I was just near the moon and I want to go back. So that's you know that's where it, what it boils down to. But not a you know, not a bad reason for reason for wanting to go. No, not at all. And I I love the, you know, we just decided to go. Yeah, <laughs> I love that because we did. I mean, more or less, we just said, you know what, we ought to go do that, and we did it. <laughs> I, I like watching Marilyn in this where she's listening to him. I, I have a feeling, and you know, having met a couple of the astronauts, they do tend to, I don't want to say pontificate, but they do like speechifying. And yeah, I, have a, yeah. I have a feeling that Marilyn's heard this speech many times before. <laughs> and she's like, well, if I just let him talk, it'll <laughs> he'll get it out of his system, and then we can go lay down and worry about the cleaning up the uh, the paper plates tomorrow. So, um, But it, it does really have a nice... A good feel. I mean, you really get a feel for the Lovell, uh, the, the Lovell family, in this little scene. Um, Absolutely. I think they uh, they took each other very seriously, and they didn't take each other very seriously. So it's a, uh, it's very charming. Absolutely, and he. Uh, I can tell you that uh, she is still his whole world. I can tell you that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good to know. Well, that that's all I've got to say about this particular minute. I, I don't know if you have any insights, Chris. I I can see on here. I'm just I don't on this one. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward minute. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, we um, yeah, for lack of a better term, I don't. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward. Yeah. It's it's an yeah, important it's, one to set the character, though. Yeah, and no no requirements for uh, special effects, I guess, except for the moon. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's nice, and we're gonna we're gonna get into more action and uh, and exposition tomorrow as as things uh, wind up. But uh, for for those of you who haven't listened to our previous episodes, or if you haven't, you want to go back and re-listen and, and review the magic. Uh, check us out on our on our main site, Apollo thirteen minute dot com, Apollo one three minute dot com. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes and Google Play. Just look for Apollo 13 Minute and click subscribe. Also, if you are subscribing on iTunes, we would love for you to put a put a review and click as many stars as you can on that on that little thing because it always helps people find us if they find a lot of reviews about uh, about our podcast. Uh, you can also find us, of course, every day at uh, Twitter Apollo 13 Minute. Find us on Facebook at uh, Apollo 13 Minute Mission Control. By the way, if you do like the Movies by Minutes uh, format, uh, we can thank uh, uh, Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson of the Star Wars Minute for really creating this modern form. Uh, A lot of people enjoy it. If you like other movies, there are over, as we're recording, over 95 different movies that have been done in the Movies by Minutes format. Find them at moviesbyminutes.com. We'll be back tomorrow for a special 4th of July episode. Uh, So uh, right after... uh, right after this so you can bring your uh, bring your sparklers and just make sure there's nothing that you can burn and, and maybe citronella candles because who knows what the uh, my mosquito situation is going to be but uh, we'll, we'll see you here tomorrow uh, lost signal in 30 seconds uh, have a great evening and uh, happy 4th of July right here on the Apollo 13 Minute